It's The Middle with Anthony Weiner on WABC. I know Anthony Weiner for a long time. He was a really bad guy. Taking a step back to look at things with a new perspective. Anthony Weiner, um, I'm not a big fan. It's The Middle with Anthony Weiner. Thank you very much for joining me in the middle sometime every Saturday at 2 o'clock when we take some steps away from the hot takes of the far left and the far right. And we try to bring some context to the news of the week or maybe we pick a subject that doesn't find its way into the middle of the conversation enough. It's great to have you along. Ava's on the board. Christian's taking your calls. Diego is supervising. Kevin's taking a little time off. It's well-deserved. We'll be here till 4 o'clock. It's a two-hour show now, and that's in thanks to all of you who have made the show a really great success and the great crew here that have helped me uh, get my legs under me, give me a little rhythm here. Uh, and also, it's two hours because the news is, it's like sipping from a fire hose so much every day. And then at 4 o'clock, Curtis Lee comes in for left versus right. He and I are probably going to get a catch up a little bit on the latest in the migrant crisis. The migrant crisis came... Kind of home for me this week because they are now talking about Floyd Bennett Field's location for the migrants. And that's, you know, one of the things when I was a member of Congress, I had a national park in my district. And most urban members can't don't say that. But I took it very, very seriously. I mean, I really did. I spent a lot of time protecting the park, trying to improve it. We opened up Aviator down there. And I know a little bit about the ethos of the park. And one thing I can tell you is that a week didn't go by without someone from the city, someone from the state, some private interest saying, wow, you've got acres and acres and acres of flat, unused land here. Let's do A, B, or C on it. And I would explain, this is a national park. Whatever good intentions you might have, you don't do it there. So I'm going to talk a little bit about that with Curtis and get his uh, latest on that. If you want to hear us, obviously, 770. If you're listening to us on the radio here in New York or WABCradio.com, if you're listening to the show, one of the one of the theories around here about why our show is doing so well, and again, thank you, is that the Mets and Yankees both stink. <laughs> so, like, you know, it's it's no longer that interesting to be tuning into them. The Mets are in last place. The Yankees are in last place. The Mets are, mm, I think, twenty five games out. I mean, I I still follow them, but it's hard. And they're playing the Angels today. The Angels who lost Sho- Shohei Otani, you know. It just, you know, the guy's going to be getting a second Tommy John surgery on his arm. Guys don't come back from that. First Tommy John surgery, he already had one. I mean, obviously, he's amazing. 
But the Angels who didn't trade him when they could have now are wondering if they made a mistake. And look, there's a reason why guys don't – why you don't have double threat players like him and why he's considered a, a once-in-a-lifetime kind of phenomenon because pitchers don't last very long. But that's sad. Um, they'll probably still beat the Mets. Yankees playing the race today. They're 18 games back. They're only eight games back in the wild card, but they're done. So maybe that's why more folks are tuning in. Whatever the reason, I'm uh, certainly grateful. So Jordan is back from camp. So he came back from camp, and I've, I've described a little bit. He's a, he's going to be 12 in September in uh, December, and I described that he had a little bit of trouble at camp. It's kind of a sport guy camp, and the thing about going away for six, seven weeks, whatever it is, it seems like a relatively short amount of time in the bigger scheme of things. But you know, he he goes through a lot of development. During that time, he's in with a different group of kids and he's away from his mom and dad and everything else. And so he came back with this real passion for fishing. And it really made me very happy to hear this because my, you know, I just lost my dad a couple of months ago, but his father, Michael Weiner, the first, um, he used to love to take me fishing, but not in this aggressive going out, you know, at Sheepshead Bay to, Fish blues or anything like that. We, when I was growing up, I had a little little house that my folks were smart enough and not, a little summer kind of shack. It was like a log cabin a little bit, and and it sat on a lake. And my grandfather and I would sit and we'd fish in the way that I always associated with fishing, where you sit there and really nothing nothing happens. You just kind of sit there. But my grandfather was really into it. And uh, maybe it's because of growing up in Coney Island. I'm not really sure. And he was very handy. Like he was an engineer without a degree or anything, but he was an engineer kind of mind. And so he was constantly putting together rigs for us to fish with and fixing the things when they needed to be fished. And nothing he liked more than untangling a tangled fishing line, however long it took, because he just liked the kind of problem solving of it all. And so when Jordan came back and said he was excited about fishing and he's watching YouTube videos of people fish, I'm like, there's something I really – that something was very heartwarming about it, that it kind of connected me a little bit to my grandfather. So yesterday in the rain, we're out, out east, out in Suffolk County, out in East Hampton, where I think you can hear us on 107.1. And um, he says, let's go fishing. I'm like, we don't have fishing rods or anything. And he says, well, let's find out. And I cut a deal with him. I said, all right, if you go to the library – I was raining. If you go to the library and do some of the work you're supposed to do for school, uh, while you, while we're there, I'll look up if there's a bait and tackle place and we'll see if we can go fishing. He did his part. He read the first chapter of this book. We went to this place where this guy kind of hooked us up. Didn't cost a ton of money. We basically got the basic, got fishing rods and, and some rigs. And we went out, um, in kind of an inlet, uh, called Maidstone Beach. And it was raining. We didn't know what we were doing. That's not true. Jordan seemed to really know what he was doing. He was talking a good game. We didn't catch anything. But it was just an amazing experience, and he's really into it now. And it could be, and this is just a theory, it could be that all the competitive sports kind of stuff that he was doing, he found some real pleasure in the like this other kind of leisure activity, which just kind of has a sport element to it, right? You know, you are competing against the fish, you are competing against yourself. You're trying to, you, know, you can get bigger fish or smaller fish or a lot of them or not so many. And it's just really great to see. And then the problem is, well, that's not a problem because there's the internet, but I know nothing really about fishing. I know very little. I mean, sometimes a little flash of something my grandfather would tell me would come back to me. 
But for example, I had a tie. Uh, you know, I, I lost a, a rig, you know, which is the hook and the weight and that part and came off and I had to tie another one on and I didn't know how to tie a knot or anything like that. And I had to look it up. All that being said, I'm really excited that he's into it. I have to learn like where to do stuff here. You know, I, they're the, they're the day trips and the half day trips that go out from Sheepshead Bay. I know that because I used to represent that area, but I'm looking forward to exploring this more with Jordan. So that was, that was really a lot of fun. That was really a lot of fun. Um, 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. Christian is on, on the call. Feel free to, to join in. But there's also, there was some real news beyond Jordan's fishing and beyond, you know, Shohei Otani. Uh, one thing we should have seen coming that Yevgeny Prigozhin, the head of the, the Wagner group, met his untimely demise. I mean, we assume, you know, I, I, I you don't really, I mean, who knows anything about anything that goes on over there? I'm always dubious of any first story that we hear, but it certainly does seem that way. And what we know about Putin, it's not that much of a surprise. A guy who stages a mutiny probably shouldn't be expected to stick around. Even though at the end of July, I guess it was, he's like, welcome back to the Kremlin for a dinner or something. It was, I guess they just waited until the, they didn't want to make a martyr out of him. And now he's, he's sleeping with the fishes. Um, and uh, I guess that's not much of a surprise. You know, in fairness to him, you know, the the Russians have had a lot of success this spring offensive by the Ukrainians has gotten bogged down because of all the the landmines and the and the counter the countermeasures that have been in Pogosian's men are involved. I think they're involved in that. So he deserves some credit, perhaps, or blame, however you want to look at it. Let's go to some of the numbers of the week. We don't have a lot today. Um, we just have... <laughs> And I'm do the number of the week this week is 215. Yeah, 215 pounds. That's how much Donald Trump. We've all seen the memes. We've all seen the jokes. I don't know how they did it. You know, they had the same thing with Rudy Giuliani. He came in at at five eight, and then they changed it to five eleven. He can't. You know, he's basically thirty pounds heavier than Trump. If you're to believe any of these numbers, they're pretty ridiculous. The thing that's not ridiculous, it's a real kind of a big deal. Not as big a deal as everyone's making it is the mugshot. I mean, the mugshot happens. It's just part of the the process. When you get indicted for something, you get arrested for something, and you're put on trial. People go through that. Um, and so there's not a lot of news news on that front. There's not a lot that is um, all that different than we knew, except that everyone has turned themselves in to be um, to be fingerprinted and to be booked, and there is going to be – now, trials, and some of those trials are going to happen pretty quickly because there is a right to speedy trial law in Georgia that some of Trump's co-defendants are saying, we want to move quickly. One of them proposed, let's do it basically election day this year, and Fannie, uh, 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 the, the district attorney in, in Fulton County said, all right, let's do it at the end of October. We're ready to go. And the effect that this has is it puts a lot of pressure on Donald Trump, but we will see because they may yet move this out of uh, state court into federal court, which doesn't have that much of an impact on anything except the jury pool. But the other thing that happened this week was um, the debate. You've heard a lot about it. Andrew Giuliani and I were on with, um, with Rita Crosby and Dominic Carter kind of doing analysis the day of, um, the, actually as it happened, um, which was interesting. Wasn't sometimes it wasn't the best radio. Like I, you know, I found there's a little bit too much talking over one another. I'm learning. I have to learn how to just 
sit still. I heard Curtis talk about this a little on his program this week. I agree. I think I kind of got jumped on a little bit and, but it, 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 it was, the idea is that we do news and opinion and there are some nights that you've got to combine them and a big event like the debate or election results, you combine it's, it's reporting the news, what's going on at the debate, but also what's going on and what does it mean? What is the analysis? What is the commentary on about it? Um, but you know, this 215 pound guy or 240, whatever weight is, he was the elephant not in the room, right? Of that debate. The whole debate had a kind of a Potemkin village element of that. You know, I was writing the episode notes for this, and I realized, A, I didn't know how to spell Potemkin in Potemkin Village, and I also wasn't 100% sure where it came from. And so here's this is the first paragraph from Wikipedia. The term comes from stories of a fake portable village built by Grigory Potemkin, former lover of Empress Catherine II, solely to impress the Empress during her journey to Crimea in 1787. Modern historians agree the accounts that this portable village are exaggerated. The original story was that Potemkin erected this phony portable settlements along the banks of the river in order to impress the Russian emperors. Well, that's a little bit like what this debate was, right? It was kind of fake. Um, it, it you know, it lacked the guy who's probably going to win, and there was a lot of pretending going on. You know, some were pretending to run for president. I think Vivek Ramaswamy's in that category. You know, I think that Chris Christie might be in that category. Some were trying to show that they were misunderstood, like DeSantis trying to show, no, I'm actually human being, and Pence showing, no, I'm actually got some, you know, zip in my step, and I, I'm going to fight back a little bit. Some were clearly running for vice president. I think Senator Scott might be in that category. Some are running in like in a general election and not the primary, like Nikki Haley, because some of the things she was saying. And then there were a few that were there to just give us time to go to the fridge, like Hutchison and Burgum and even the hosts. I don't know what they were doing there. But there was no Trump and no Biden. But I was thinking about like, so you've heard kind of cuts and commentary all week. How do I on a Saturday afternoon on a show like The Middle, what can I bring to the game that you haven't already kind of, how can I do this a little bit differently as kind of the lone Democrat kind of, and I came up with an idea, and it's inspired by guys like Curtis Lewa who, who refer to this as kind of theater of the mind. So here's the situation, and also in honor of Bob Barker dying. That's how, I'll tell you what I mean by that. So what was fake about all of this is that Trump wasn't there to respond to the questions the other Republicans were, even things about him. And he was off doing this other thing. And there was no Joe Biden voice anywhere in all of this. It's not supposed to be. It's a Republican debate. But wouldn't it be interesting if Joe Biden got a chance to mix it up as part of this kind of pretend thing? Now, I, I introduced you last week to the idea that Ava is going to be our our full-time board op, helping us produce and make the show sound good and helping me sound good, and we're glad for that. And I say that because if you pay attention when I do the introductions of who's helping out with the show each week, you've probably noticed it's been a lot of different folks. Now – I've heard two versions of the story around here. One version is no one wants to work for me. The other version is that they've been trying to figure out who would be perfect to kind of to kind of manage this this show. And I'm going to choose to believe the second. So I thought it would be a good idea if Ava picked some of the questions that or some of the things that were said at the debate or some of the things that were said by Donald Trump 
And then I get a chance to respond. But the, the reason I mentioned Bob Barker is I don't think I should know what she's going to choose. And again, a little bit behind the curtain of how radio here works is that each week, since I'm only on once a week and I used to just have an hour and have a little more time, I would go through the news and try to find interesting sounds to play, interesting cuts, as they call them, to play. And I would send copies in. By the way, 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. We're going to talk about the debate. We'll be talking a little bit later in the program about some things that you were told were true that were not and how outrageous they are. Anyway, getting back to what we're going to do. So what I what I thought we would do is that Ava would choose at random or any way she wants one of the cuts that we've already heard. Now, I didn't have – I started to say I didn't make any cuts this week because there are so many cuts of the debate. I couldn't even make any one that you haven't already heard already. So to make it easier and to make it a little more fun and to make it a little more difficult for me because I couldn't prepare is I said you spin the wheel and then at random you pick a cut and then we'll pretend that I'm on the stage – Usually, I, I think this is going to work out best if I'm Joe Biden, how Joe Biden is going to respond to this. <laughs> I'm probably going to be better at this than Joe Biden, I just want to warn you, which is kind of like being the tallest pygmy. I don't know if that means I'm so great. 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. And, um, and we'll see if this works. And it might not. Um, and so what's going to happen here? We'll see. Ava, do you think we're ready for this? Okay. So Ava seems like she's ready. So what we're going to do, we only have a few minutes, so we'll get one or two questions in. If it seems like it's going well, we'll continue it after the break. Otherwise, <laughs> we may cut bait. By the way, at Rep Wiener, R-E-P-W-E-I-N-E-R, um, Anthony D. Wiener at uh, Facebook, and Wiener, W-A-B-C at gmail.com is another way to reach us. And one more thing. So I just posted online that I'm going to be debating Vivek Ramaswamy. I'm not really going to, except I I mean, I'm sure Ava's going to pick at least one Vivek thing for me to respond to, but that's what I was talking about. Again, the theme is Potemkin debates. I'm going to participate in. Let's, let's do one or two, Ava, and we'll see how it's going. And why don't you go ahead and get us started? Uh, sound effects. So we built a thing called the Panama Canal. We lost 35,000 people to the mosquito, you know, malaria. Yeah. We lost 35,000 people building. We lost 35,000 people because of the mosquito. Vicious. They had to build under nets. It was one of the true great wonders of the world. As he said, one of the nine wonders of the world. No, no, it was one of the seven. It was, happened a little while ago, you know. There's nine wonders of the world. You could make nine wonders. He would have been better off if he stuck with the nine and just said, yeah, I think it's nine. But this is one of the true seven wonders of the world. And you take a look at the Panama Canal. It was such, such an incredible engineering marvel. We sold it under Jimmy Carter. We sold it to Panama for one dollar. The following day, they quadrupled the amount of money that ships had to pay to get across. They didn't lose one ship. All right. Well, first of all, that was, I, I forgot to tell you, that wasn't the debate that we're also going to do some Trump cuts. That was a good, that was, I not so great one to start with because it's really long. Here's the thing about this, uh, uh, President Trump. What are you talking about? <laughs> you know, I know that people give, give Joe Biden a lot of grief, justifiably so, for saying goofy things. We lost 35,000 to the, to the mosquitoes, to the mosquitoes. 
First of all, no. It wasn't 35,000 mosquitoes. A lot of things. I mean, we could do this major piece of civil engineering. Sure, there was some malaria. There were diseases. Also, people had stuff falling on them. And and we gave it to Panama because it's their country, and this basically benefited the United States. Panama Canal is an amazing accomplishment. I don't know the nine, the nine seven thing, who you're talking about. Maybe did Joe Biden once say nine wonders of the world? Maybe that's why Eva pulled it. Um, so Donald Trump, see, now here's the, here's the, the good th- the thing about this is that anyone who, who points out the slightly goofy things that Joe Biden says, and I don't deny them, they're sometimes off the wall and weird. You got, for everyone, you have something like that that Donald Trump says. 35 that we lost what by the way I didn't even I don't know what what I didn't see the, the I only watched about two thirds of the Trump uh, Tucker thing um and I missed that so I have no idea what the question was but my response to that is let's move on to some serious things what's next Ava So first, let me just address a question that is on everybody's mind at home tonight. Who the heck is this skinny guy with a funny last name, and what the heck is he doing in the middle of this debate stage? I'll tell you, I'm not a politician, Brett. You're right about that. I'm an entrepreneur. My parents came to this country with no money 40 years ago. I have gone on to found multi-billion dollar companies. I did it while marrying my wife, Apoorva, raising our two sons, following our faith in God. That is the American dream. And I am genuinely worried that that American dream will not exist for our two sons and their generation unless we do something about it. And I do think Brett is going to take an outsider because for a long time we have professional politicians in the Republican Party who have been running from something. Now is our moment to start running to something, to our vision of what it means to be an American today. If you have a broken car, you don't turn over the keys to the people who broke it again. You hand it over to a new generation to actually fix the problem. That's why I'm in this race, and we're just getting warmed up. All right, that's that's the famous Vivek Ramaswamy. Everyone says he won the debate. I thought he didn't. Um, by the way, that reference he made to the Obama line, you know, who's he, he, Chris Christie acted later on in the debate that he did that by accident. No, it was, it was an obvious homage. But speaking of homage, all right, Vivek, you you I get it. You you're like the guy at debate. You're like the guy at debate camp, the guy who's who's eager and everything else. But what why are you running? And if you think that Trump is so great. Did you not notice that Donald Trump is running? What is the I I understand everything about your candidacy except the why you're running. Um, it, It doesn't make a heck of a lot of sense. I get the whole outsider insider ideal but we've got the ultimate outsider in donald trump that is doing i know a lot of people thought that he was good because he got a lot of time to talk and he was very glib and everything else i i i think that that that's been oversold because in 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 my view there was an element of just non-presidentialness about him of being too eager by half and um and then there's the substantive stuff. And maybe we'll get into the substantive stuff a little bit after the break. The stuff that he said that just didn't add up very well and also wasn't consistent with stuff that he had said in the past. I thought he did okay. And I certainly was interested most in him because I knew at least about him. When we come back for the break, we'll do a few more of these. We'll see how they're, how they're going. It's the, the middle with Anthony Weiner. And then at the top of the hour, for the second hour, we're going to talk about some things, um, that, uh, about, about 
about Joe Biden falling asleep, about Joe Biden saying no comment, and about the Marines refusing to pay for the remains of a fallen soldier to be flown home to their family. We'll do all of that at the top of the hour. I'm glad you're along. We'll see you on the other side. With a little love and some tenderness, we'll walk upon the water, we'll rise above the mist with a little peace and some harmony. We'll take the world together, we'll take them by the So welcome back to The Middle. I'm Anthony Weiner. Ava is picking the questions for our debate exercise. Diego is picking the music. What am I even doing here? You get like chat GPT to replace me too. So what we're trying to do to try to make this a little bit different is we're taking random cuts as chosen by Ava and fate. And let me respond to them. We have so many around here that you've been playing all week. You've heard them all about what's going on in the debate. Um, and the one element we've kind of missed is that no one's really clapping back against them. I guess they, they are against each other, but like what would be the democratic argument against them? We heard a little bit from Vivek. Let's try a few more, Ava. Hunter Biden, George Soros. You bring Fauci in. I learned in the military, corporate media, abortion all the way up to the moment of birth. I'm not going to send troops to Ukraine, but I am going to send them to our southern border. Deep state bureaucrats. We need education in this country, not indoctrination in this country. (laughs) There it is. All right. That's one. That's all Ron DeSantis. I think I heard that mashup somewhere. Uh, that's Ron DeSantis mashing up basically every punchy line, poll tested, whatever he could muster. People kept saying Ron DeSantis had a bad night. I'm not sure I agree. Like, he definitely wasn't the guy that was hit the most. But that montage, it does tell you a little something. He is still a very awkward guy. And he is one kind of cliche after another, not always responsive to the questions and also not always making that much sense. I remember he, he did this thing about, he did this thing about when you have a national emergency like we've had in Florida, you've got to stand up, be ready, get motivated, get animated. Actually, Eva, do we have that cut from DeSantis, the one where he says like you've got to get going? Anyway, he was just, he seemed to me very, he didn't bring all that much to the table. He he is not, you know, people keep saying, oh, the, the Florida shows that he is a really good politician. I am not so sure anymore. I am not so sure. He, he, he certainly doesn't have a good sense of, of the moment that he was in. He looked very awkward. He was probably thrilled not to be part of some of these back and forths. Um, but that mashup that Ava just played is a pretty good sense of who he is. He's basically a guy who's got a lot of kind of slogans and um, someone who also didn't. I don't remember him at all going after Donald Trump, which he still has to jump over, but he seemed to have done fine. All right, let's go to the next one, Ava.
What I care about the fact is that no one is telling the American people the truth. The truth is that Biden didn't do this to us. Our Republicans did this to us, too. When they passed that $2.2 trillion COVID stimulus bill, they left us with 90 million people on Medicaid, 42 million people on food stamps. No one has told you how to fix it. I'll tell you how to fix it. They need to stop the spending. They need to stop the borrowing. They need to eliminate the earmarks that the Republicans brought back in. And they need to make sure they understand these are taxpayer dollars. It's not their dollars. And while they're all saying this, you have Ron DeSantis, you've got Tim Scott, you've got Mike Pence. They all voted to raise the debt. And Donald Trump added $8 trillion to our debt. And our kids are never going to forgive us for this. And so at the end of the day, you look at the 2024 budget, Republicans asked for $7.4 billion in earmarks. Democrats asked for $2.8 billion. So you tell me who are the big spenders. I think it's time for an accountant in the White House. Whoa. What? Who is that? Who is, what is she? Who is, whoever that woman is, she should be our nominee. Step aside, Joe. That was Nikki Haley. That was her moment. That was her moment taking on her own party. You know, I, I mean, I, yeah, see that, that's actually what I meant when I said at the beginning that she seems to be running in the general election, not in the primary. She is right about all of those things. That it was the Republicans that, that, and Joe, and, and Donald Trump who drove up there. Now, she does make this argument about food stamps and people on Medicaid during COVID and what government should have done. She said, oh, that was, she intimates that, you know, that all of that spending went to food stamps and people on Medicaid. Yeah, but food stamps are for poor kids. <laughs> That's 75% of people on food stamps are kids. And by the way, we, during that, because of that spending, we reduced the poverty rate in our country for the first time in a long time. And Medicaid, that's healthcare for people who don't have insurance. Because that's what happened when people lost their jobs in COVID. They lost their insurance. But it doesn't change the fact that Nikki Haley really went after her own crew there. And it was interesting. The audience didn't know whether to cheer or to boo or what, because she's reminding the Republicans that they used to be the fiscally conservative party, and they're not anymore because of the profligate spending. But more important than the profligate spending, it's the the debt that she referred to, the four-fifths of the debt that she referred to was Donald Trump's um, tax cuts for millionaires and billionaires. So good for Nikki Haley. But if Anthony Weiner is saying good for Nikki Haley, I'm not quite – I guess she was trying to get the attention of the adults in the Republican Party. And let's do one more, then we'll go to some calls, 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. We're kind of unpacking the debate a little bit with the, and Ava spinning the wheel in honor of Bob Barker. De Sanctus is out. I think he's gone. So he was he was at a level. He's people have figured him out. He's gone. But if somebody else got in, other than me, they'll go at him just as viciously as they did me. These people are sick. Uh, they will go after them. And a lot of people say they won't be able to hold up. Uh, yeah. Well, people are not sick. People disagree with you about stuff. And there is a lot of partisanship. I'm going to talk about that at the top of the hour. There's a lot of partisanship, but people are not sick, man. Someone who does someone who who thinks that people should go to prison when they do things illegal, then that's not sick. But he is right about the but part of it is that if DeSantis is the the candidate, there's going to be a lot of people who don't like DeSantis almost immediately. You know, they had this there was this this common thing about the 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 Hillary 
Trump race. They're like the two most hated candidates. You know what? Nowadays, nobody's popular. I mean, no one's no one who stands for president for one of the parties will be popular. That's too much to expect. Um, do we have any more spin? Spin, and let's do one more. Maybe one more Trump one because I I think the Trump ones we haven't heard. Day number one is border and taking hundreds of thousands of criminals that have been allowed into our country and getting them out and bringing them back to their country, Guatemala. By the way, not only the four countries that we think of as neighbors, all over the world. Last month, we had 149 countries represented. Think of it. We had 149 countries represented, Tucker, from places that many people never even heard of coming into our country. And they're coming in from mental institutions and they're coming in from prisons. They're emptying out their prisons all over South America. You know, how come no one ever you know, Donald Trump, show your work. Man, that's not true. He's been saying that for the longest time. They're emptying out their prisons, emptying out their mental institutions. Can someone please find a citation for that? He's been asked, his campaign has been asked, and no one knows what he's talking about there. But... But, but yeah, there are a lot of people that are, are trying to come in. And so, but the very thing, the thing you said at the very beginning there, my president, my former president friend, is you're going to gather everyone up, all the people that are here undocumented, and you're going to send them home. Okay. How exactly are you going to do that? Now, you're a small government guy, and you don't trust the FBI, and you don't trust whatever. Who, how is that going to work? And the, 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 and this is what no, no Republican, ever talks about this part of it. How do you deal with the undocumented that are here? Many of whom are fine. Many of whom have learned English, are paying taxes, are working full time, are not on any kind of public public assistance, whatever it is. They're helping our, our economy. They're helping our country grow. And then there are some bad ones. How do you separate the wheat from the chaff? How do you do that? 149 countries of the people we never heard of. You know, you've, you've, you sound... Again, you know, people criticize Joe Biden for his sometimes borderline incoherent uh, um, remarks. What was that? 149 countries most people never heard of what? Yeah, people want to come to the United States of America. And we have a system now that is largely broken. It's a legislative system. It's a series of laws that are broken. And you fix them by changing the laws. And Donald Trump was the president for four years. We would not have a migrant crisis today were it not for years of inaction, including years of inaction by Donald Trump. He didn't do anything. I mean, that you cannot stand up now. You were just the president three years or two years ago, two and a half years ago. What did you do then? We had migrant caravans then, too. This is a hard problem, but we need we need real leadership on how to deal with it. And I, by the way, I didn't hear enough talk about immigration on that debate stage with with the other candidates. I mean, I would you know beyond the beyond the platitude, Ron DeSantis saying, "Oh, we're going to use lethal force." Uh, what's that now? So someone's at the border, and what are you going to do exactly? You're going to shoot them? How's that going to work? Oh, I don't believe in big government, 
and I don't trust and I believe the FBI is corrupt, but we're going to shoot people on sight? What? Excuse me? You want to be president and that's your position? Now, it's not as bad as bombing, bombing Mexico. Oh, yeah. That's a good idea. That's bombing of the sovereign country. I mean, this is not serious. These answers are not serious, but the problem is serious. And these guys want to be president of the United States. And this is how they, this is how they're talking. They're dumping their men's institutions and whatever. Anyway, let's go to some calls. That was our little game. I think I want to thank Ava for helping us with it. Maybe we'll spin the wheel at some other point. There's a lot, there was lots more. I'm sure there, we have like so many cuts around here from the debate. The, the, the bottom line about the debate is that it was fine. It was like watching, it's like watching the, 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 the XFL. Like when the regular season is not on, you, you want a little taste of some football, you watch some fake football. But it's still fake football. And this is, this was a fake debate that Donald Trump is going to be the nominee. Joe Biden is going to be the nominee. And let's, let's just get rid of this JV stuff. All right. Let's go to some calls. Um, let's go to Eduardo in Florida. Hey, Eduardo, welcome aboard. Hey, Anthony. Well, where are the legislators? Uh, all these problems are Congress, and the point person is BP Kamala Harris. Remember, she's the point person on immigration. She's she, that's the executive Ed, Eduardo. That's the executive branch. Yeah, but really, it's Congress that really needs to have the uh, the laws. Correct. But by I mean, the way, who uh, by the way who 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 controls the House of Representatives? Uh, the Republicans, but who has the Senate? That's the Democrats. Right. That's fair enough. And, but, but, you know, the point that I'm making is that if you want to have this pro, you need, look, the, the Republicans in my view, I'm going to let you make your point, Water, because you've been waiting. But the point that I, I would make about immigration, I frequently made it on this program, is that every time there has been an effort for a bipartisan effort on this, under Democrat and Republican, remember G.W. Bush, under Obama, remember the Gang of Eight, it is the Republicans that call their own guys traitors. When they sit down and try to do anything about this, your your governor, your governor, your senator, Marco Rubio, was the golden boy. Now, he will never be president of the United States because he had the audacity to sit down and talk about a compromise on immigration. But go ahead, Eduardo. Yeah, well, I've been in Tampa for a couple of months, but, yeah, he is my senator. But I'm looking at this footage here, Lukeville, Arizona, where they're coming in uncontested. We have a rise in covid Coming up, party's going to get bigger in the wintertime. I don't think these people are getting uh, a clean bill of health. I don't think that's going to help out the uh, the health of uh, the American people here uh, by the end of the year if these people are not being checked in uh, Lukeville, Arizona, for example. Yeah, we have to do a lot more. Thank you, Eduardo. We have to do a lot more around COVID. And we have to allocate more funds, more resources, and we have to have more testing. I think it's like definitely a problem. Now, I w- want to point out, that all of the people clamoring to end COVID restrictions, such as Title 42, were Republicans. That all this talk about, oh, the government is trying to stop us from living, Anthony Fauci should be fired and everything else. Well, remember, Title 42, which allowed us to stop people and turn them around at the border, was a health emergency declaration. Now that that's been lifted, we lost that tool. This kind of point that out. Let's go to Glenn and Edison. Hey, Glenn, thanks for joining us. Yeah, how you doing, Anthony? Uh, it's, I can tell you sincere, sincerely love your kid. And do you realize what this border border situation is? And they cut ho- holes 
all along the border wall to, and telling us that so the antelopes can run through it. But as of two days ago, 43,000 people have crossed through those holes that they cut in. Why would you do that if you didn't want to destroy a country? I'm 63 years old, but I'm worried about the younger generation. Yeah, I feel yeah. I mean, look, it, it, I, I think that the, the situation at the border is a, is, is a legitimately called a crisis. And I think that a lot of the crisis is from people wanting to leave their homes and come to the United States for all kinds of different reasons. Um, and immigration overall is good for our country, but uncontrolled immigration is not. We have a body of laws that we have to figure out a way to manage it. You know, the amnesty, the not not the amnesty, the asylum laws that are the are, are the reason that so many people are coming here to new, to the United States because they're taking advantage of a law that exists that allows that anyone on U.S. property can apply for asylum. That law was never intended to be tens of thousands of people doing it all at once. It was intended and it was put into place after World War II when we were turning away people who legitimately needed someplace to stay, in, in, including people on the USS St. Louis There were Jews escaping the Holocaust. They were intended for a boatload, a, 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 an individual family turning themselves in at an embassy or something like that, not this. And so to fix this problem, to fix this incentive that exists in the law for thousands of people to come, and I want to say more people have been detained, arrested, turned away at the border under Joe Biden than any president in American history. Now, that's a little bit deceptive, I will admit to you, because more people are flooding in and they're just, you know, a lot of people are getting in also. But the point I'm making is that we have to fix this problem in the law. This is not someone like, oh, close the border, like turn to some switch or like go down there like DeSantis wants to, you know, with with guns facing at the border and shoot anyone that they see. And that requires adults. It requires legislators passing laws. And if you think that immigration law is no one could ever agree. No, for years and years, decades and decades under presidents, Democrat and Republican alike. You'd sit down and you'd work out compromises. Farm interests have their interests. Border towns have their interests. Big cities have their interests. It's a challenge like anything else. But right now, one group in this country, the Republicans, are refusing to treat it like a real thing to fix because they're gaining too much of an advantage from it politically. Because if only if you really wanted to fix this problem, it is not that hard to do. On paper, it's not that hard to do. Because first, you've, you've got to you've got to start, you invest a lot more money in having adjudication going on right there at the border, and that means money. That means hiring officers. That means hiring uh, potentially judges. Not slashing the budget like the like the House of Representatives under Republican leadership just did. It requires coming up with identification measures that you can't fake. And if you're an employer and you hire someone who's undocumented who doesn't have a real ID card, you get punished also. I mean, these things are not impossible to do. But there's a phoniness about it that's going on that we saw, we saw a little bit of debate. We didn't talk a lot about immigration, but it's definitely going on if you turn on, on Fox News or 77 WBC Talk Radio most of the week. 
When is Joe Biden going to close the border? He's the president of the United States. There's no power that the president have except in limited circumstances like Title 42 to close the border. That's not a thing. We have immigration laws that govern who can come in under what circumstances. All the people coming into New York City are here legally. I got bad news for everybody. They're not illegal anything. And we'll be right back after the break. It's the middle with Anthony Weiner, 77 WABC. It's the middle with Anthony Weiner on WABC. I know Anthony Weiner for a long time. He was a really bad guy. Taking a step back to look at things with a new perspective. Anthony Weiner, um, I'm not a big fan. It's the middle with Anthony Weiner. Bring us back in. I said earlier, Diego was serving as our musical director today. Ava's doing that too. She's, they we're putting it through it today. She's got a lot of things going on at once. So I'm here until four today. So our show is now two to four. I want to thank all of you for your great support and John Katzmatis and Margo and Chad Lopez for the faith they put in me in this. And we're also taking a little more time with some issues. The top of the hour, we're going to change up a little bit. I'm going to talk about some really outrageous stories that I've heard the last couple of weeks and explore them a little further. One is about Joe Biden saying no comment when asked about the fate of people in Hawaii, him falling asleep while he was there. And then this really outrageous story about a Marine whose family was told that they were responsible for the construction, construction for the, for the, um, for the transportation of the remains of their of their fallen soldier themselves to bring them back from Afghanistan, really outrageous stuff. We're going to do that at the top of the hour. Uh, before we leave the, the 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 subject of the debate, there was one cut that I asked Ava to to pull out because it is about Ukraine, and um, it was a debate between the two South Asian candidates or a conversation between the two South Asian candidates that were on the debate stage. A win for Russia is a win for China. We have to know that Ukraine is the first line of defense for us. And the problem that Vivek doesn't understand is he wants to hand Ukraine to Russia. He wants to let China eat Taiwan. He wants to go and stop funding Israel. You don't do that to friends. What you do instead is you have the backs of your friends. Ukraine is the front line of defense. Putin has said if Russia, once Russia takes Ukraine, Poland and the Baltics are next. That's a world war. We're trying to prevent war. Look at what Putin did today. He killed Pergozin. 
When I was at the U.N., the Russian ambassador suddenly died. This guy is a murderer, and you are choosing a murderer over, over a part American country. First of all, first of all, first of all, Mr. Ramaswamy, you have 30 and, seconds. Mr. DeSant, you know, Nikki, DeSantis, I wish you well in your future career on the boards of Lockheed and Raytheon. You know, I'm not on but the, the fact of, of the matter, and you know, Boeing you came off of it, but you've been pushing this lie. Stage, you've been pushing this lie all week, Nikki. You want to go and defund Israel? Just, you want to okay, let me address that. I'm glad you, you brought that up. I'm going to address each of those right now. This is the false. All right, well, we're bumping up. And. And then Ramaswamy comes back and just to summarize his rebuttal, and let's just bring this down a little bit. First of all, Nikki Haley was that, – that's her strength, obviously. She was the former uh, UN ambassador. That was her strength. But she does in that thing kind of set up the traditional Republican thing that is now under attack within the Republican Party about the idea of the strong defense, global superpower, United States of America and versus Ramaswamy, who is this new – part of the Republican coalition, which is, I mean, I don't know how to say this, fairly supportive of the Putin view of the war. The war. He took this position, Ramaswamy, that, you know, he, he in his, you know, the language he used, I want Israel to stand on her own two feet. Um, this kind of isolationist sense. I thought it was a very interesting exchange. And it shows that Nikki Haley, I don't know Nikki Haley had a good debate. Now, you may say to yourself, if Anthony Weiner thinks she had a good debate, that means, therefore, I probably don't want to vote for her. And that could be true. I do think Nikki Haley forgot that she was on a Republican debate stage. But between her and Pence, they're trying to kind of say that, you know, today's Republican Party, we've got to remember who we are. We're a, the Republican Party was always a pro-strong national defense party. And even in the kind of the the debate conversation that I was having, uh, you know, Andrew Giuliani and I were on with Dominic Carter and Rita Cosby on debate night. And we were kind of doing live react kind of thing. And Andrew uh, Giuliani, who I, I think is a, he's great on radio and I enjoy listening to his show. He's on tomorrow. He did this thing, you know, you got to give him a blank check. You and him a blank check. Well, let me just say this. And I try to get this into the conversation today, but I'll say it here. There's not any checks involved. There's weapons. We're sending them a bunch of weapons to, to throw at the Russians as much as they can so we don't have to. And Nikki Haley's not wrong about the idea of what Putin's ambitions are. And this idea that we have a friend who's out there, an ally, someone out there fighting our common enemy, is that something I think the smart Republican Party should be in favor of. But Ramaswamy rec- re, you know, represents this wing of the party now, this Tucker Carlson wing of the party, and DeSantis seemed to be playing footsie with it as well. It says, we don't do national defense. We don't care. We, you know, why should we bother? Um, well, you can't both be anti-Russia, anti-China, and then turn around and say, but we don't want to do anything to help our allies. Because that's the way, that's the way these things work. All right, let's go to one more call before we get to the top of the hour. What about Mary in Staten Island? Hey, Mary, welcome back. Hi, Anthony. I was thinking about, you said that Trump never did anything when he was in office, but he built the wall with his own money. What happened <laughs> to that money? Mary, I, I, I love you, but he didn't. First of all, he built 450 miles of it. It was with Department of Defense money. Remember, he promised it was going to be Mexico. We have a 2,500-mile um, border. Okay. The portion he built with any of his money, what happened to it? He didn't use any of his money. He doesn't use his money for anything. He didn't, he, he didn't use his money, Mary. 
It was Department of Defense. It was Department of Defense money. Okay, the Department of Defense. Why did they allow him to use their money? That's the United States taxpayer as allocated by the United States Congress. Remember, he shut down the government because he wanted to build the wall. And that the Democrats finally said, and by the way, I'm, I'm fine building walls. I, uh, that, I think we got a compromise. I'm fine if you want to build, if you want to, be, obviously a lot of it you can't build. A lot of it is, a lot of it is river. A lot of it is on private property owned by Americans. There's a lot of places you can't do it. He built 458 miles paid for by the Department of Defense, not paid for by Mexico. And certainly, Lord knows it wasn't paid for with any of his money. He didn't even run his campaigns with his money after he said he was going to. And he took he took the people that donated the money. He put it to his own legal defense. It's like, but look, I'm not saying the walls are fine, fences are fine. All of that is an unnecessary part of defending our border. I totally get it. But the things we're talking about today are problems in the law, and he did nothing to change the law. Where was the Comprehensive Immigration Reform Act of 2017? The guy comes down the escalator and says, "Immigration this, immigration that." Where were the laws? That's what we needed. So after the news break, we'll be back at the top of the hour. I want to talk about some of these outrageous stories about the, the Biden administration. This is called the middle. Those things really have me worked up as well. It's been a great first hour. We'll see you on the other side. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm Anthony Weiner. It's the middle with Anthony Weiner on WABC. I know Anthony Weiner for a long time. He was a really bad guy. Taking a step back to look at things with a new perspective. Anthony Weiner, um, I'm not a big fan. It's the middle with Anthony Weiner. And welcome back to the middle. I'm Anthony Weiner. Thank you so much for joining us for hour two. Talked a little about the debate. Now one, a little bit of in a ham-handed way, try to try something a little bit different. I did tweet out that I was going to debate Vivek Ramaswamy. So we played some tape of him and me responding. I'm not really going to debate him. I would love to. I don't know if I really would. He, he has, he's so, um, what is it about him? He, 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 he's, he has a lack of seriousness about it. It's like when, when, um, Christie called him like chat GPT, there is a certain element of like just whatever the slogan is that, captures whatever zeitgeist the craziest thing that he said that i guess it got some attention but it should have gotten more he said the greatest president of the 21st century was was um or the uh, what 20th century 21st century was donald trump my dude then why are you running did you not notice he's running if you thought he was so amazing why don't you think he should get a second term i didn't there seems to be an internal contradiction there i'm sure he's answered that question somewhere but i didn't understand it but I want to switch gears a little bit for the second hour because we call the show The Middle. I am a Democrat. I consider myself progressive, but I doubt I would be considered progressive by the today's standards. 
when there was a progressive caucus, I wasn't progressive enough for, the, for them when I was in Congress, so I doubt I would be now. But putting that aside, I have been outraged by some of the things I have heard, and I listen to talk radio, 77 WABC, the best news and talk in the country. I listen here just about all the time. I mean, no, that's not true. I a little bit of NPR, but I really listen to this almost all the time because I want to – much of it is I want to learn, and also a lot of a lot of what I do here is respond to things I've heard other times of the week. And there have been a couple of stories that I've heard here and one that I heard on Fox, you know, I, that if I'm going to be in the middle, I do have to talk about. The first one came when Joe Biden, when was asked about if he had anything to say to the people of Hawaii after their terrible fires. He said no comment. I mean, that's what he said. And then later on, he finally gets to visit Hawaii and he's, he's there as part of his visit and he's sitting in the, in the audience before he's to speak. I believe that was the chronology. And he's sitting there, he falls asleep. I heard about this on Sid's show. And perhaps the craziest story I've heard recently, this one I saw on Fox, I don't think we covered it here, was that, um, the family of Sergeant Nicole L.G. had to pay $60,000 of their own money to retrieve her body from Afghanistan after she was one of the 13 service members who died by a suicide bombing at Kabul Airport, Kabul Airport and at the end of uh, in the final days of our, um, of our being in Afghanistan. I mean, mind-boggling. They'd have to do that. I mean, this is just crazy stuff. In addition to it being crazy, none of those three stories is true. Yeah. Now, in the case of the first one, Donald Trump, uh, sorry, Joe Biden saying no comment. I was wondering, you know, I heard it said over and over again. And it was on the front page of the New York Post. And it got picked up everywhere, including here. And um, I want to find the tape. I want to go hear that. I want to see what happened. You can go try to do that. Go ahead. Let me go do it now because you're listening to me on the radio. There was none. Wait a minute. The president said something in response to a reporter and there's no tape of it? How can that possibly be? Yeah. That was the report of a pool reporter. And when... There are some circumstances where the president is traveling or the president, even when he's just getting on the board of helicopter, that instead of having every single reporter from every single outlet, they use something called a pool, meaning a couple of reporters or a reporter and a photographer will then provide a detail, a factual detail, not, you know, of what went down. And the pool reporter in the case of the no comment story was a guy from the Daily Mail UK. I kid, I kid you not on how they choose these things. And you can go to the Daily Mail website, look at their video. Apparently, someone yelled out, do you have anything to say? You know, like, whatever it is. And the helicopter, he was getting on the board of the helicopter, the president. And the guy who's the pool reporter lip-read what he thought the guy with President Biden said. He lip-read it. 
and the story about him falling asleep? Well, thank goodness for C-SPAN. Because C-SPAN had a different angle of the president putting his head down and dozing off, which had been reported as fact in so many places. They had their own camera there, which was much more clear that you can see when he was looking down, he was blinking and looking at apparently notes that he had in his lap. And the third one was even crazier. This was reported by Fox News. And it's a, it's the kind of outrageous story that makes your blood boil. July 25th, a freshman Republican member of Congress named Corey Mills put out a tweet or an email or, or a press release talking about this Sergeant Nicole G's family. The story's reporter, um, quoted Mills, the congressperson, about this egregious injustice. But when you looked at the story, and this is Fox News, this isn't some flaky outfit. This is the, the biggest and most successful media organization maybe in the world. The Pentagon wasn't quoted, and nor was this family. And the Pentagon immediately went to work to try to get them to correct this. And first they made a minor change in the story without any reference to it, so you wouldn't know it from reading it. But they refused to take the story down. The story was not true. It just was made up. The, the, the Marines don't make you pay to have the remains of it. I mean, it just was made up. And the reason I'm calling attention to these things is that there is an enormous increase in the amount of of political division in our country. We say that all the time, but it's really borne out by the facts. You know, Pew Research does a survey every so often, and they ask people the question, how do you view the other party, the party you're not a member of? And they just, they ask only people who identify as Democrats and people who identify as Republicans. And in 1994, 21% of, of Republicans said that they viewed Democrats very unfavorably, 21%. Today, it's 62%, and that's since 1994. So, you know, half a generation. The Democrats, in 1994, 17% said they viewed the other party very unfavorably. Today, it's 54%, say they viewed the other party very unfavorably. And I have to tell you that some of the blame for that unfortunately goes to the siloed media that we have today in the United States of America. That festering sense of, of anger at the other side is fostered by the Fox Newses of the world finding stories that seems that just the dude said no comment when just eight hours before that story went live, he had given public remarks about what he said to the people of Hawaii. It's not like he didn't say anything. He was like, no comment. He had already given public remarks. He didn't fall asleep at a thing. He was out there. You know, the point I'm making is that 
that there are media that has an incentivized to drive this sense of dislike and distaste and even hatred of the other side. We played a cut in the last hour of Donald Trump saying, you know, the vicious animals on the other side or whatever it is. And some of it is just that some of these stories are just too good to be true. So we use them to make a point. And we don't realize that what we're doing is we're just creating this environment that is so toxic. But there's no other way to put these things. They're just not true. He didn't say no comment. He wasn't asleep. The Biden administration didn't make some poor soldiers fly his family, fly his remains back. And I'm not saying that, I mean, maybe there is both sides is and we can do. Maybe you can call up and tell me something that was said that wasn't true. You know, that everyone, you know, that was just created out of whole cloth. Maybe, I mean, yeah, maybe there are things on other side. But I just think that, you know, by the way, Fox News Ne- they eventually took down the story, never did a correction, never did an apology, nothing. I don't know if this guy, what's the report, Michael Lee, the stories reporter, was was punished in any way because he was probably doing exactly what they say, find outrageous, crazy stories that we can use. And then when you have people distrusting each other and conspiracy theories left and right, part of it is because – a lot of the stuff, which can be checked, a lot of this stuff is just just wrong or made up for political reasons. No comment was on the front page of the New York Post. You can do it, by the way. Go to look at I, – I asked, you know, when I walked in, I asked Nolene. I said, listen, we have a great – and remember, here we are opinion, but we're also news. We do hard news, and then we do opinion. And no one does it better than Noam. No one does it better than than, than the, the the news guys here. And they have great resources. And I said, you you recall us ever playing a clip where he said no comment to being asked about Hawaii because I didn't. And maybe there's one out there. Maybe someone can call me and say, no, this is all completely not true. But I went to the to, to the pool reporter's report in his own newspaper. The Daily Mail, and we know what the Daily Mail. Well, you might know the Daily Mail is is not a friendly organ for 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 Joe Biden. And by the way, there has been plenty of stuff about Joe Biden that's completely true. Stuff that he said that's wrong. Stuff that he said that seems incoherent. Stuff that he said. You you know how hard I came down on him for you know miscounting the number of grandkids he had. But if we're gonna agree on what the way forward here in the country is we have to start holding our media accountable for not repeating things that they either do know or are untrue, but should know. So let's go to some, uh, some calls. Uh, let's go. St- da- 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 hey, Tom in New Jersey. Why don't you get us started this hour? Hey, Anthony, how are you doing? I'm good, Tom. Thanks. Good. Uh, before you said that, uh, we are all wrong, that they're not illegal aliens or migrants. Why, why do you say that? Because everyone's talking about they're here illegally. Yes. So why aren't they? I'll explain. And everyone's not saying that I'm not. They're definitely migrants. That they definitely are. You have a right in the United States of America under the laws passed by the United States Congress. If you are in the United States of America and you present yourself and you say, I want asylum here in the United States of America, you 
have a right to be here and to have that process adjudicated. And these people are coming across the border presenting themselves to any border official they can find. You've sometimes seen the videos of them lined up. And when they get off the buses, you sometimes see in the videos they're holding a piece of paper in their hand. These are people who are legally going through the asylum process. So they have the piece of paper from the country they're coming from. No, no, no. They are leaving somewhere trying to gain asylum in the United States of America. And they have to prove that they're eligible for it. And you do that by going before before an immigration official and you get a court date. And now sometimes they're years from now. But while they're here, they're here legally. So you're telling me all these people crossing the river have a piece of paper that, and they're here legally? No. I'm saying that when they get here, if they are, if they set their feet in the United States of America, whether it at an, at an, an embassy, whether at the border, they, and they declare asylum, they say, I request asylum in the United States of America, they are then Given their process, they say, here's your date that you've got to return. Here's where you go to prove it. Here's the requirements, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Now, they've got to show it, and many of them are not going to be deemed eligible because they've got to show that they're subject to persecution in their country that they've come from, that they'd be harmed if they went back. They can't say, I came here for a better job. Then they won't get asylum. But while they're here, while those cases are pending, they're here legally. I just don't believe that everyone crossing that river has a piece of paper. No, no, Tom, you, Tom, now you've now said. No, when they come, when they come out of the water onto our land, I don't believe they get a piece of paper. They, they go, they present themselves to it. Now, if they don't present themselves, then they're obviously trying not, they're not coming here for asylum, but they, they come here and they line up. They line up and by, you keep saying the water. Most of them don't come across the water. Some do, but so they, they, and, 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 and the president, uh, President Trump in, in that interview is 142 countries. Not that many, but it's people coming from Haiti. It's people coming from Ukraine. It's people coming from, from Venezuela. It's people coming from everywhere. We have a lot of displacement right now and people are coming from a lot of different places, coming from war zones, coming from places that don't have medication for COVID, places that have, have rampant in, in inflation. But the point that I'm that, that I guess Tom, you have been lied to. When someone says to you they're illegal, they're not. They're not. I'd like you to bring this up in the, your four o'clock hour. With the I, I, I have, I have on several occasions. I'll bring it up again. I'll bring it up again. I mean, the people declaring asylum. The whole point. That's why you know the word asylum now. You've heard it over and over and over again. That's in the law. And why did we pass that law? And thank you so much for calling, Tom. I appreciate the chance to clear this up. Why did we pass the asylum law? We passed the asylum law because in the 1940s, we had people who were coming here who feared persecution, who feared the gas chambers, who feared their lives, and they were turned away. And we said, we're not going to do that anymore. We're going to have a process for this. If you can show, and it's been changed several times, the laws get amended all the time. What you need to show, what evidence you are. But the one thing that you do need is it needs to get adjudicated somewhere. And this is where the system is in tatters. Is it, I said, you, you can be four or five years before you get a, a hearing. Because the system is not set up for this. And I know what you're saying. You're saying, well, wait a minute. Why don't we just set up a system to keep up with all these asylees? Yeah. You know who does that? 
Congress. You know who has the power of the purse? Congress. You know who comes up with the rules and regulations and laws that govern the, 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 the way we deal with laws? It's Congress. They're your legislature. It's broken. I mean, I have a way to fix it. I've talked about it on past episodes. I've talked about it on the Middle Unplugged, the podcast that, that, that drops on Wednesdays. And the way you deal with it is you say, look, if you think you're going to use the asylum system as a way to stay here for five years and while you figure something else out, uh-uh. We're going to now set up trailers. And we're not going to hire judges. We're going to hire hearing officers. And we're going to hold you for days, not let you go in, go for years. We're going to hold you for days. We're going to pass a law that says that everyone has to be processed within 30 days. And while you're waiting processing, here's where, you know, if you don't have, I don't know, here you, you got to stay within 20, within 20 miles of where the hearing is going to be. And you don't get fancy offices, you get trailers and you line up the trailers and you have hearing off, hearing after hearing after hearing. And soon the message will get out that, all right, I can't use amnesty as a way to get into the country. I gotta do, I gotta figure out some other system. And by the way, Joe Biden tried to change this by saying you've got to apply in your country of origin. And he was sued and they struck it down. Why? Because it ain't the law. The president can't just go make up stuff in the immigration space. I mean, look, I'm not saying that this is not a challenge that, that I mean, it's not a challenge. I'm not saying it's not a, difficult. I'm saying you got to make some real choices. But I am saying there are people in your who work for you, my dear listener, who are supposed to be in the business of solving problems like this one. And past Congresses have done it. I've been there when they have. Who don't want to solve this problem because they think it hurts Joe Biden. They want the politics. They want the issue. They don't want the solution. I want to talk about the solution. And when we come back, we'll take some more of your calls. At the top of the hour, Curtis comes in, who's been leading the fight on trying to find um, ways to keep migrants out of inappropriate places. And also, he uses the language about illegal alien all the time. I mean, I've, I've pushed back in it. I'll push back again. And also, I'm going to ask him if he has any advice now that Jordan is into fishing. Kind of excited about this, but I know nothing about fishing. We'll see you on the other side. Is the middle with Anthony Weiner, seventy-seven WABC. to make change, reaching across the aisle to work with both sides. Before all this happened, Anthony Weir, he was fantastic. That guy could have been the president. This is The Middle with Anthony Weiner. But Weiner may be my greatest challenge yet. He has gone toe-to-toe with many pundits before me. On WABC.
So welcome back to The Middle. I'm Anthony Weiner. We're here until 4 o'clock, and then Curtis Lee will comes in for Left versus Right. We uh, touched on a lot of stuff today. We talked about the debate a little bit. About We haven't really talked much about the – there's not a lot of news in the indictments. I'll tell you, the only thing that is, everyone has now turned themselves in, um, been processed, had their mugshot taken, has been released on bond. Everyone except for one person of the 19, a guy named Harrison Floyd. And wouldn't you guess – the only black guy in the bunch has not been released. <laughs> they say he might be a flight risk. They say he might do harm to someone. He says he doesn't have the money to post bond. It's the one black guy. He was, by the way, he was charged in the case. He was charged with trying to intimidate the election worker to make her say something that wasn't true, that she was, this poor woman was seen passing a gingerman to her daughter, she's a poll worker, and Stories were spread around the internet and around the world that she was spreading. He was passing a U.S. a UBS a USB port or something to steal the election. Complete nonsense. Poor woman. Um, anyway, so we're talking about a bunch of different stuff today, and we've also we've started to talk a little about immigration and what it means. And I've got a chance to talk a little about the asylum process. I have to tell you, I had an interesting thing, and, and Curtis is going to come in at four o'clock. We're going to catch up a little about this. So one of the places that they're looking to put asylees or asylum applicants or migrants, whatever you want to call them, while they're here in New York. And again, I've explained this a few times. I'll explain it again. Because of a 1981, I want to say, court decree, New York City is the only city in the country that has a right, a constitutional right under our state constitution to housing. The only city. This has nothing to do, by the way, with the sanctuary city thing. That's completely different. And so migrants may know about this. I know there's a lot of attention about it. So many of them come to New York for that reason. Anyway, we have an obligation, we being the citizens of New York City, because of this consent decree, which is something that is agreed to by the parties and enforced by the court. And the parties in this case were the Coalition for the Homeless and the mayor of the city of New York, city of New York, you, your mayor, um, was that you have a right to housing. And so one option that's not available to Eric Adams or to us, the taxpayers, is to say, tough tacos, we're just not going to do it. We're required to. A court requires it, and, and we're a nation of laws, et cetera. But one of the places that they're talking about, a, a lot of people have concerns about the locations that they want to house these migrants. One that's come up recently has really put me in a little bit of an intellectual box because it's been proposed that they be put on the runways of Floyd Benefield. Floyd Benefield in southern Brooklyn it's part of Gateway National Park. For those of you who don't know the neighborhood, if you keep going down Flatbush Avenue, past Kings Plaza, you get something that I think on the map is also called Flatbush Avenue Extended or Extension. And as you're traveling south and you look to the east, you can see this big wide open airfield. You even see where the old tower was. You've got the Ryan Center. You've got – it was a civil airfield. It never really took off as an airport. No pun intended. But Howard Hughes took off from there. Wrong Way Corrigan took off from there. All kinds of it has a lot of history. And so it was used for civil aviation. It was used in the war in World War I. It became part of the, the city. And the city, eventually it became part of the National Park Service. And when it did, almost immediately, it became a magnet for a lot of crazy ideas about what to do with it. 
And I can tell you, I was the congressman who represented that area. A week didn't go by without someone coming into my office and saying, I've got a great idea what we can do there. We can build housing there, affordable housing. We can, um, we can put a hotel there. There was even a guy, a senator down there who had the idea of let's have a NASCAR race down there. Imagine that. And one by one, I would be, no matter how good the idea might have been, I said, we've got to follow the law. And the law is that in parks, you can only do certain types of things. So there was a part of the land down there was used for a giant urban farm because that's a, that's a use of a park. There was a sporting fields down there, cricket patch, for example, because that's recreation. That's what a park is supposed to be for. And even when we allowed and encouraged commercial investment like we did with Aviator, the sports facility down there, it had to be consistent in appearance with the the aviation history of the place, and they had to donate to make sure that it stayed that way and the and the, the rates had to be lower and the limited amount of parking they could have because we didn't have a lot of cars down there. Even that was very difficult, and that was recreation. It was sports. So last week, it, uh, uh, Governor Hochul announces that she got the approval of the of the federal government to house homeless people, to house uh, migrants there. And I immediately thought back to all the fights that I would have there. And we, I didn't win all of them. For example, there was, there was the proposal to put a Doppler radar tower in the park there. And because they needed one to detect wind shear to protect the planes in LaGuardia and Kennedy. And that was a good spot for them. I fought it tooth and nail. I found other locations for them because I said, you can't just put any old infrastructure there. If I was around when they agreed to let the sanitation department train their truck drivers at the corner of it and police officers train their cars over in the corner of, of the park and they gave that essentially back to the city, I would have fought that too. But I was immediately put in a difficult position because I don't believe, I do believe we have an obligation to these folks and we have to figure out an appropriate place for them. But I firmly believe that if you can put them in Floyd Bennett Field and Gateway National Park, you should be able to put them in Mount Zion National Park or in the Grand Canyon or on Liberty Island. That that camel's nose can't get under that tent. It's just not an appropriate use of a parks facility. And if we start there, who knows what happens to the rest of our national parks and who knows what happens to the rest of that park. That park is acres and acres of flat land. Can you imagine? If just any old idea about what you want to put there because we have an emergency this or an emergency that. And so I, for the first time, I thought of going out and I've reached out to the local elected officials there and offered my support and offered my files about, you know, some of the legal things that can be done to stop them. And I've, I've told Curtis this also. And I thought about going to the rally last week and I decided that Although everyone might have the same near-term imperative, I didn't want to give aid and comfort to the idea of this being a political thing only. As like, let's just, let's just be angry at Adams or let's just be angry at Joe Biden. 
because at the end of the day, we do have an obligation to try to figure these things out. And I think putting the blame on these individual people who come here is the wrong place to place blame. I think the place to place blame should be broadly spread. If Adams deserves some, and I agree that he probably does, if Hochul deserves some, I agree she probably does, then certainly Nicole Malliotakis does. She's in the majority party. Certainly Congressman Lawler does. He's in the majority party. Congressman Esposito does. He's in the majority party. So I decided not to go, but I was really torn by it. And it it reminds me of the idea that sometimes people have some of their goals are common and some of them are not. And I, I think that I think that if folks just focus narrow on trying to find appropriate places for these folks to be and focused on what the solution is that makes it to, to maybe slow them from coming, then I think we'd all be a lot better off. Let's go back to the calls and uh, let's go to David in Brooklyn. Hey, David, thanks for joining us. Hey, Anthony, how are you? I'm good, David. Thank you. Uh, first of all, I have to say that, and this is before I have any statement on anything, and that you are the number one debater of anybody in an all of radio. I, I believe that if I had you as a friend supporting me, I would have my butt covered. <laughs> well, David, here's what I will say to you, and you can put this you can put this in your little in your wallet. You have one free I will come argue your case for you. <laughs> you just tell me when you need me to do it, because if you're good enough to call then I, I will, I'll do my best to defend whatever position you're trying to uphold. But go ahead, Dave. Did you have anything else you wanted to add? Thank you for that kind yes, compliment. Yes. I, I go to train. Uh, I, I'm a soccer coach. I go to train McCarran Park, which is one of the locations where migrants have been um, put up. And I got to know a few of them because they come down to the to the park. You know, they play soccer, too. And I have this one one gentleman that is a player, and he came to me. His, uh, his name is Ahmet. He was from Mauritania. I don't even know where Mauritania is. I know it's somewhere, you know, by Africa. But um, but he, he, he couldn't speak English. He spoke French. And he would hand his iPhone to me, and we would interpret through the phone. <laughs> That's great. And he would say, I'm trying to find a job. I came here to try to find a job, and I can't find a job. What am I supposed to do? And I don't know what to, what to answer him, you know, because, you know, they all came through the southern border. And one thing I can understand, you know, whichever side you're on, you know, Democrat or Republican or whatever they call it, different names. Um, why do I hear that, you know, from Border Patrol saying we have no control of it and we, we can't, you know, we don't have enough people and we can't put the wall that we had to close up the holes that were in the wall. Why would Biden want to sell the pieces of wall instead of just sticking them up so that they have one less place to worry about and that the people have to go through, you know, ports of entry? Yeah. No, this is this is a good question, David. I, I appreciate the call. And, and, and I mean, let me tell you a little, a little bit about the arguments against the wall. And I said to you, I think we should build more wall. Um, you know, but the problem with the wall is that the wall can only be used, a wall or a barrier or a fence can only be used at some parts of the border because they have to be built somewhere. And there are a lot of places along the border that are private property that you have to go either through eminent domain or with someone's permission to build a wall on their property. 
It's a two hundred. It's a twenty five hundred mile border. Um, now this whole idea that you know Biden's selling pieces off. The the fact remains that the that where there is a wall, one of the one of the the biggest incursions for fentanyl that was busted it was eighteen months ago, two years ago, was under a wall. It was a tunnel that was under the wall because the the smugglers who were big, they're not like individual guys, they're big multinational basically corporations. They figured this is the best place to go, right? And they weren't wrong. They weren't wrong because where the wall is is where where there aren't patrols. But the other problem with with a wall is that the, we have a lot of the the border of our country is a river where you obviously that's where this whole fight about these floating barriers that the governor of Texas wants to put up. I mean, walls are not. They're not the be all and end all that people think enforcement is not the be all and end all of this. We need a legal immigration system that makes sense. You know, I've heard a lot said about the idea that asylees can't work. I think it's for the first six months they're here. Asylees are not allowed to work. And why is that? Because they don't want people coming here seeing it as a pathway to get a quick job. They don't want, they don't, you know, they don't want to create that incentive. On the other hand, it wasn't conceived of that the process would take more than six months. So if it's four or five years, sure, we don't want them to be incented to come here. But if they're here, the idea, if they're working, they're not in shelters, they're not in Floyd Bennett Field, they're not showing up at, at, at a former girls' school in, in, in Staten Island. They're working somewhere. They're making money. They're, they have an apartment. It's not perfect. I get it. it's not perfect. Let's go to, it looks like Akron in New Jersey, or it, Akron, is that the name? Uh, uh, um, Anthony, you know, you, you are one of the uh, best and most pragmatic uh, individuals on WABC. And I really appreciate the... Uh, uh, the, your uh, honesty, your honesty in 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 and balance in in the explanations that you give. I'm a Muslim, and I know you're Jewish, so I, I just want to throw that in there. But uh, you are really re- you're really an asset to WABC, and I only I just wish that your program could be. Um, to go national, that that would be a great thing for WABC to do because you 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 come with pragmatic information, information that's not based on emotionalism, with a political agenda. I really appreciate your, you know, your what you bring to us, and I could go on. Well, I I appreciate. It. I really appreciate. It. It's very kind to hear you say, and and I I just want to, I mean. I want to just correct one thing. I, I'm not. I have my. I do. I am political. I do have my political biases. I do believe, and I don't. And I encourage all of my audience to keep theirs too. You know, being being political is not a vice, but it should be in service of a thing. It should be in service of an outcome. It could be service of the idea that we are unified in one regard, that we aspire to leave a country, to leave a city, to leave a neighborhood a little bit better than the one that we found. That's the commonality that we have. That's the sense of community that we have. Um, and and while I appreciate the, the nice words, I, I should be very clear that all praise here should should go to John and Margot Katsimatis, the folks that 
that have figured out what we that the type of radio that we want is is live, it's local, it's diverse. It doesn't mean it's 50-50 diverse. <laughs> I mean, sometimes I'm a lonely voice, but the idea that there's nothing to be afraid of of someone else having a different viewpoint. I think that's something we should aspire to. But the thing that gets me animated though about the immigration thing is for one thing, it's a cliche. We're all immigrants, right? We all came here in different ways. And I've heard hundreds of times, hundreds of times, when my parents came here, we did blah, 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 blah. First of all, dial it down a little bit. <laughs> dial it down a little bit. A lot of the laws that we have that became much more restrictive are relatively new in the, in the, in the history of them. I'm, I'm talking about asylum laws that only go back a generation, only go back to World War II. Because at the, at the, the earliest times in the country, like when my, Great grandfather, Wolf Wiener came here. Yes, that was his name. When he came here, and when you have that scene from the beginning of, I guess it's Godfather 2, Frank Morano will tell me if I have the two or wrong. When they have the, the Vito Corleone coming here to this country, it's we were trying to build up our country. We needed immigrants. We were trying, we wanted people to come here. We were doing everything possible for them to come here. And then we we reached the point, and but the conflicts always existed. It's the age-old thing that people come through the gates at Ellis Island and say to the guy behind them, "Get out of my country." It's the joke as old as as our city and our country. I do think it's important that we have a legal structure that every once in a while we go and revisit. We went through this period in the 1980s that, like, listen, we wanted to reunify families. So if you had a family member, it became a really big, hot, important thing. We need um, agriculture workers who can come and go. Right now, our immigration laws lock people into our country, not out. Because everyone who comes in temporarily, they're afraid to leave for fear that they won't be able to get back in. We have folks who send money back home to their country. They would like to go back themselves. System's broken. Next, let's go to Paul on Long Island. Go ahead, Paul. Hey, Anthony. Um, I've heard people on the left lately saying that Trump is a threat to democracy. Now, if he wins the presidency, our democracy is in jeopardy. I think it's ludicrous. I see the left as a threat to democracy because they're the ones who want to pack the Supreme Court, get rid of the filibuster, change the Electoral College rules that are spelled out in the Constitution. They're the ones that tell social media companies to censor and deplatform people they disagree with. And the last president to actually arrest journalists and whistleblowers was Obama. Uh, there's a lot of evidence that shows uh, <clears throat> it's the left that's a threat to democracy. Yeah, but let me take some of those examples. And it's an excellent, it's an excellent call because it's good food for thought. Pack the Supreme Court? Nope. That's not happening. Don't like the Electoral College? Yeah, you're darn well. I don't hate the Electoral College. And if, if, I mean, you live in New York, you shouldn't be crazy about it either. But no one's changing that. Here's the difference. Changing those things, you do that through the democratic process. You do it through the process of our governance in our country. You follow lawmaking and constitutions and courts. What is going on with Donald Trump is he is alleged, and again, this is just an alleg- these are just allegations. There's now 91 of them in various different things. Is that he said, no, I'm not going to pass laws. No, I'm not going to do the courts. 
No, I'm not going to build public support. I'm going to subvert all of those things and go around all of those things. That's the difference. I'm not, it, 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 the threat, you know, getting rid of the filibuster. Yeah. That would require a vote of the Senate and the next Senate can come in and change it back. And by the way, if it had not been for, for the Democrats getting rid of the filibuster, except for Supreme Court, I mean, keeping the filibuster, but changing it for Supreme Court, we would not have a, a Republican court right now because it was those changes the Democrats made that the Republicans took advantage of. But those are within the four corners, the four walls of the democratic constitutional process. When people talk about Donald Trump being a threat to democracy, is what if you have a president? Actually, Eva, do you have the cut where he's describing Pence as being a conveyor belt? You know, so Donald Trump, uh, when he was talking to Tucker, when he was asked about Pence, he says, Pence acts like he's a conveyor belt. Like all he can do when he gets the electoral college votes is pass them along. Yeah. And then Donald Trump, Donald Trump goes on to say, you mean he can't find that there's fraud and send them back to the states? No, that's not the law. We don't have he, one person having the ability to do that. That's not a thing we have. That's not the law. That's a violation of the law. <laughs> So it's quite a different thing to say, oh, I think there should be a law that the vice president doesn't count the electoral college votes, that the elector, he gets to decide which ones to accept and which ones not to. Then you pass a law. Donald Trump said no. Donald Trump says he thought the election was stolen. He thought there was fraud, whatever it is. So he went to court to prove it. And the court said, mm-mm, didn't happen. And he said, I want you to throw it out anyway. That's the difference. That's the difference. It's not the same to say AOC wants single-payer health care. She's a threat to democracy. And saying Donald Trump wants to overturn a free and fair election. It's quite, quite different. Let's go to, uh, let's go to Adam in Mineola. Go ahead, Adam. Thank God. I thought I wasn't going to get on. How you doing today, sir? I am well, Adam. Okay. You know what I need? I mean, I know you ain't got nine, ten minutes left, but could you please explain a little bit about the RICO statute? Because a lot of other hosts on this station claim that the, that, that the RICO statute is just that phone call that Trump made to Rathenberger. And it's more than that, sir. Could you please give us a little bit? Yeah, of- let me let me let me do that, Adam. I appreciate it. So here's the thing. about, And I did this last week extensively. The Rathenberger call. I don't think it's that big a deal in and of itself. But there's not in and of itself in an indictment. It's a whole long list of individual acts, which are acts and furtherance of a conspiracy. And that's what you need in RICO. So RICO says you get a whole group of people. And, and it's, it, it started out being with the mob because they can never get the godfather because they can never prove that he knew that some or one of his soldiers shot a guy or held up a guy or sold heroin. So they created the RICO statute to say if you're all working in one giant criminal conspiracy, in this case to overturn a free and fair election, then 
You just need to do a couple of the actions that are listed in the indictment. One of them was this call, and the reason that the call is significant, not in and of itself, but as part of the whole conspiracy, he was one of the things he's charged with is using his 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 is is trying to strong arm other elected officials to violate their oath. So there's plenty of instances in this indictment where the president does that, where other people do it as well. But that was evidence of one time where he was trying to do it. Now, by the way, I've heard some people say, you know, oh, it's 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 um uh, uh, he was just asking to do a recount. I saw Jonathan Turley say, no, this was the third three recounts had already been done when he had that phone call. And we got to go one more quick break and then we're back to wrap up. It's Anthony Weiner. It's the middle. I'll see you on the other side. It's the middle with Anthony Weiner, 77 WABC. Finding new ways to make change, reaching across the aisle to work with both sides. Before all this happened, Anthony Weir, he was fantastic. That guy could have been the president. This is The Middle with Anthony Weiner. But Weiner may be my greatest challenge yet. He has gone toe-to-toe with many pundits before me. On WABC. He'll bring us back in the Steve Miller Classic. So we've had we did a little bit of a potpourri today because again it's really hard when you only do one show a week, even with two hours. There's a lot to cover. We have the debate, the Potemkin debate, as I call it. It's not a real debate because what are they really debating over? They're not going to be the nominee, and the guy that should have been in the debate and wasn't was just saying some bonkers things over with Tucker Carlson. Combination of things that are not true. Things, I, I, here's the way you can view it. If you just wrote them down and you told Fox News that Joe Biden said them, you would, they would have been, they would have had days of content about how crazy these things are. Um, and then we've had the local news about the migrants. And we talk about that at the top of the hour with Curtis Lewa on left versus right. And, you know, we're, we're, you know, and then there's the other thing. Joe Biden, give us money for this, right? Well, okay, let's assume he says, sure, I'll give you whatever. You've got to give it to everybody, right? I mean, you got border towns that are saying they need money, and you've got Chicago, and they need money, and everything else. Who writes the checks in this country? Not Joe Biden. Joe Biden doesn't pass the laws that that, that doesn't pass the budget. The right to appropriate is is not in Article 1. It's in Article 2 of the Constitution. That's where the con- Congress has that power. And so, you know, the, the next time you're out, you see someone on TV who has representative or senator in front of them complaining about this problem, 
that's their job is to go fix these problems. And, 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 and that's, that's the challenge that we face. You know, if you're, if you're the president of the United States, you just go start writing checks when, when the, the, when the, the very same legislature that's asking, you know, that's asking you to fix this problem. Maybe, maybe the reason they, that he's not doling out this money is because he doesn't have the money to dole. There's not a big presidential slush fund to give out. This is tough. Immigration is a tough problem. It's a tough problem to get past the political. If you're like, you say everything is going to be, you know, it's amnesty, it's amnesty if you agree to fix it. No, we decide who to let in and who not to all the time. We can do it again. We didn't do it under Trump. We should have. He could have been the one that did it. The anti-immigrant guy, the Nixon that went to China, he could have been the one that said, let's finally fix this and put the, you know. But it didn't happen. So we'll talk a little bit more about that. Now, Curtis has a very narrow New York City, and he's been very effective. I mean, I was on with Sid last week. I said, you you cannot argue. I mean, Curtis has been effective with this. And I think that that's the key to the Republican success here. This issue is manna from heaven for the Republicans. It's out of control. Our country's slipping away. Hurry, let's do something. Let's maybe what we should do is put the guy who was in charge last time and did nothing about it. When are we going to start rewarding people for actually solving some of these problems? When are you going to start rewarding a half dozen Republicans and a half dozen Democrats sitting down in the room and saying, listen, let's jump off this cliff, this, this thing together. Let's come, let's, Democrats, give them the wall. That can be our opening bid. We'll let you do your dopey wall, but we, we need some serious problem solving on the rest of it. And the left might want more people to come in. The, the right might have business interests they want to satisfy. Yeah, there'll be disagreements. But right now, it seems that this is just we're we're using this issue for political gain, period. And all of us, we're stuck in the middle. We're part of the game of ping pong. Too many people seem to like to, to, to be taking some joy in having this this game going back and forth. But I really do appreciate you taking the time to spend with me on the middle this week. This will come out as a podcast. It's always available that way. I have a podcast that comes out on Wednesday called The Middle Unplugged, which is a little bit like this. We usually dive deeper into one issue. I hope you can join in then. If you'd like to drop me a note about anything you've heard on the show, wienerwabc at gmail.com. I got a note from uh, Arlene saying I'm talking too fast. So if you notice, I slow down a little in the second half. That's why I want to thank Ava for helping out, especially being the host of Respond to That Debate, whatever we called that game. I want to thank Diego for supervising Christian for being on the call. At the top of the hour, we're going to be back with the one and only Curtis Lewa. This is New York's talk leader, the crown jewel of talk radio. WABC New York and 107.1 WLIR Hampton Bays. 77 WABC News starts now. 84 and partly cloudy on this Saturday, August 26th. Good afternoon, I'm Noam Layden. Bob Barker, the iconic American game show host, died at his home this morning in Los Angeles. His rep says the price is right.